If you would, turn with me in your Bibles at this time to Psalm 39. We're going to be focusing our attention upon verses 4 through 7, but I will go ahead and read verses 1 through 7. Psalm 39, 1 through 7. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an hand breath, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show, Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. <clears throat> if you knew you were going to lose your job next month, no doubt you would be making plans. You would be looking for opportunities. You would be submitting applications and perhaps interviews in order to, to be ready to step into another position at the loss of that job. If you were making a trip across country, uh, no doubt you would make preparations for your trip. Uh, you would certainly know the destination, where you wanted to, uh, to be. Uh, you would look for how you would uh, provide for meals, for lodging while you were there, the route that you would take to get there. If even temporary changes and temporary moves in our earthly lives are wisely prepared for by thoughtful planning on our, on our parts. How much more death, not a mere temporary move, but a permanent move from this world into eternity. And yet how few truly prepare for death. Funeral arrangements, yes. But preparation for eternity? No. So few prepare for eternity. 
Dear ones, planning for our death is not a, a morbid, it shouldn't be a morbid, gloomy exercise for the Christian. We prepare for death now so that it does not terrorize us later. Preparing for our death actually helps us in our life now to enjoy Christ, to enjoy our families and all the gifts that God has given to us in this life. For we know there is no time to waste in serving God and in serving one another because death is coming to us all. And to the degree that Christ consciously becomes our, our life and our reason for living, our death will not be a loss at all, but will be a gain to us. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Not loss, it is gain to be with Christ. Well, let us consider this Lord's Day, the words of David, as found in Psalm 39, focusing our attention upon verses 4 through 7, where he prays for understanding and wisdom and facing the reality of, number one, the certainty of death. Number two, the nearness of death. Number three, the weakness of death of man and number four the hope of man so first of all the certainty of death in verse four Lord make me to know mine end in Psalm 39 David wrestles with the reproach that has been brought against him by the wicked. He was chased, as you recall, like a wild animal, chased all over the country, uh, the tribe of Judah, chased south out of, out of Judah, chased west into the land of the Philistines, uh, chased east, wherever David was, he was being haunted and chased. He was shamed for standing for the truth, standing for the Lord in his truth. And he was tempted, as we read the psalm, he was tempted to vent in words to others what were in his mind by way of thoughts. But David determines to guard his mouth in silence, to be as if he were dumb or mute, to not speak what he was thinking, particularly in the presence of the wicked, he says. Not to speak what he was thinking, because it may be taken to be speaking against God's providence against what God had brought into his life, and he did not want to be murmuring against God's providence. He did not want to dishonor the Lord in the presence of the wicked, in verses 1 through 3. 
remember that David had given wise counsel in a previous psalm as to how to respond to the wicked and who use their power for evil purposes in Psalm 37, verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Verse 7 and 8, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. As right as David's counsel is in Psalm 37, David yet wrestles within his own heart in following it. God is indeed merciful to allow us in Scripture to see, I think, the struggles of the righteous that we might see they were just like us in need of a savior. They battled against the same temptations just to let it all out, just to speak against God's providence, to speak against God's providence in a way that might bring dishonor and shame because we're so upset with what we see going on around us or being done to us. David was tempted as well. Within David's heart, a passionate fire was burning against the power and the influence of the wicked pursuing him, even to the grave, and promoting that which was unrighteous. And finally, David gives expression to his inward reflections, which proceed in the form of a prayer which we find in the remainder of Psalm 39, verses 4 through the end of the chapter. David prays first that the Lord would cause him to understand and reflect upon the certainty of his own death. Lord, make me to know mine end, that is the end of my life, in verse 4. Here, when David prays, Lord, make me to know, the word know there means to be intimately acquainted with his death. Not just a general knowledge that he's going to die, but Lord, make me to be intimately acquainted with my, the end of my life, that my life is going to come to an end, that I'm going to die. This is, the, this is the word that, the idea that Adam knew Eve was, again, uh, maritally intimate with his wife. And here David prays that he would be intimate with this knowledge of his end. There is a in Scripture, there is a threefold death that is the result of man's fall into sin. Spiritual death, which is the separation of man from God due to the sin 
of man. There is also physical death, which is the separation of the spirit from the body. As the body goes into the grave, the, the spirit then passes into either heaven or into hell. And there is eternal death, which is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. The Christian, dear ones, is graciously delivered altogether from both spiritual death and eternal death. However, the Christian will yet experience physical death, but the Christian will experience physical death not as a curse and not as a punishment for sin because Jesus Christ has become a curse for us and bearing the curse entirely for us. Though the world and those who do not come to Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, will suffer physical death as a curse. Those who trust in Jesus alone for their eternal salvation will not suffer death, physical death, as a curse or as a judgment. But it will be just as we suffer illness in this life, just as we suffer poverty or other trials in this life, the miseries of this life. The miseries of this life are a curse uh, to those who do not trust in Christ, but the miseries of this life, once again, are not a curse to the Christian. Death and all the miseries of this life are to the Christian a means of sanctification and growing us in the grace and knowledge of Christ and causing us to flee to Christ, to find in him all that we need, even in the midst of the trials and suffering of this life. So the miseries of this life have become really an aid. Death has become an aid and a help to our sanctification. Not a curse when used in the hands of a loving father. Death for the Christian is just a door, opening a door into the glories of heaven and into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's physical death that David has in view here. In Psalm 39, 4, when he prays, Lord, make me to know mine end, the end of my life by way of physical death. Physical death is divinely appointed for all people, whether male or female, rich or poor, great or small, whether young or old, it is appointed for all. Now, we may be late for appointments here upon the earth, but there is one appointment for which no one will be late. And that is the appointment with death. Everyone will be right on time. The appointed time, everyone will be at that appointment. The apostle says in Hebrews 
And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Appointed unto men once to die. To those who have not embraced Jesus Christ as their only hope of eternal salvation, death is the end of earthly pleasure and the beginning of eternal suffering. To those who have received Jesus Christ as a free gift by faith alone, death is the end of all earthly sorrows and the beginning of eternal joys. The psalmist says, declares in Psalm 1611, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What benefit is there in becoming intimately acquainted with the certainty of our own death? Rather than just having a a general broad knowledge, yeah, everybody's going to die, but having an intimate uh, acquaintance with the certainty of our death, what is the benefit of that? Remember that David prays, Lord, make me to know mine, mine end, mine own death. Well, the first benefit is that it humbles our proud, self-sufficient hearts before the everlasting God. We see ourselves as mere mortals and that God is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning and he's not going to die. But we have a beginning and we are physically going to die. Every one of us. The certainty of our own death, dear ones, crushes our vain pride and casts us upon the Lord Jesus alone who is the resurrection and the life. A second benefit of knowing the certainty of our own death is that it shows to us the futility of all of our hypocrisy in which we play games with God. For there is coming a time when all acting the part of a Christian will end and will fade away and the truth will be revealed about us. And we will either enjoy the heavenly blessings of having, a ha- of having had a living faith in Jesus Christ or suffered the hellish curse of having had a dead faith which trusted in our own works and mere outward religion, not in a heart that was devoted to Jesus Christ. A third benefit of being certain of our own death is that it is impressed upon us that we not only need life through Jesus Christ, but that our loved ones and our friends also need to eat of the bread of life who came down from heaven 
in order to give life to sinners who are perishing. In light of the certainty of death, we should see the eternal significance of pressing home to our dear children their need of Jesus Christ, of earnestly praying unto God to draw them unto himself, of spending more time in that which will promote their spiritual welfare than that which will merely promote their earthly pleasure. Dear ones, we as parents have brought our children to death. We have passed on to our children our death. Should we not then as parents desire because of that all the more to lead them to life in Jesus Christ? Just as we are going to die, so will all those around us. And their death should also drive us to pray for them, to bear a faithful witness of Jesus Christ before non-Christians and Christians alike in word and deed. Next, David prays concerning the nearness of death. Secondly, the nearness of death. At the end of Psalm 39, 4, again reading the first part, Lord, make me to know mine end, and now the last part, and the measure, the measure of my days, what it is. Here David prays that the Lord would ever place before him the realization of the shortness and of the, the brevity of this earthly life. You see, not only did David pray that he might truly know, be intimately acquainted with the certainty of his own death, but also how near his death actually was. You see, it's one thing to know that you're certainly going to die eventually, sometime in the future, and yet it's another thing to think of death as being near being close, not being far away. Many people know they will die sometime, but they tend to look upon their death not as occurring until they're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. They may think, death's going to come, yes, but I'm in good health, I'm young. My death is yet many years Away. Well, consider the following ways the shortness and brevity of life and the nearness of death is portrayed in Scripture. For example, life is as a hand breath. You know, that's, that's a measurement from, from this point to this point. That's a, a way of measuring um, space. And so life is a hand breath in comparison to um, a cubit, you know, from here to here, or compared to um, uh, a furlong, or, you know, in, in our terms, miles, or 
uh, kilometers or whatever. David says in Psalm 39.5, life is as a hand breath. Short. It's brief. In Psalm 95, he says that life is as sleep at night. It's like your life is like going to sleep and waking up in the morning. That's what David says in Psalm 90, verse 5. Life is as grass that grows and suddenly withers under the scorching heat of the sun. In Psalm 90, verse 6. Life is a tale or a story that is told by a storyteller. How long does it take you to tell a story? In Psalm 90, verse 9. Life is as a vapor or mist that soon vanishes when the sun comes out. In James 4, 14. What the Bible is communicating, what God is saying to us all is, we are here today and we are gone tomorrow, physically, by way of our physical life. I can remember when I was a teenager that 70 years old seemed ancient. Seemed ancient. Well, now that I've reached that age, it doesn't seem so ancient anymore. I'm here to tell you that time grows wings and flies quickly. I'm sure Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old, looked back over his life and said, Wow, where did time go? How much more so with us, who live much shorter periods of time? Dear ones, you have no guarantee. You have no guarantee from God or promise from God that you will even live to be 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90 years of age. People die in their youth and in the prime of their life all of the time. People die unexpectedly every single day. And this truth ought not to cause us to press the panic button. For it is God, our loving Father, who has ordained the days that we should live for his glory. Our times, the psalmist says in Psalm 31, 15, our times are in his hands. In Job 14, 5, man's days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. This truth ought to bring us out of fantasy land and back to reality if we have allowed the cares and the pleasures of this life to blur our spiritual vision. Well, what benefits are there in becoming familiar with the nearness of our own death? Well, first, although a realization of the certainty of our own death will surely help us to look at the big picture in making certain decisions in our life, a realization of the nearness of our death will help us to see the smaller picture 
that every day is important, that every day has a sense of urgency to it, to live for the glory of God, to live in order to show our love for the Lord and to show our love to one another. Because we have no guarantee that we will be alive tomorrow, we cannot waste the time, the talents, and the resources that God gives us today, but must rather redeem them, must rather use them. Everything that God gives to us must be used to promote the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ whether it's our time, our talents, or our treasures. How are we using those every day to promote the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? For where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will your heart be also. You may not see yourself as possessing any great abilities to be used in Christ's kingdom, but the Lord has blessed each and every one of you, young and old alike. He's blessed each of you with certain gifts and abilities to be used for his glory and his kingdom. As even demonstrated by the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where this certain ruler gave uh, one talent, five talents, and ten talents to uh, servants. And he went on this this trip and told them to uh, to use these talents in a profitable profitable way and he came back and took inventory and found that the one with ten talents had added ten talents and he was greatly blessed the one who had five talents had added five more he was greatly blessed but the one who had been given one talent hid it he did not even bring forth another talent. He hid that talent. And the Lord consigned him to, to punishment, to torment, because he did not even use what God had given to him to glorify God. Did not use what God had given to him to promote his kingdom by way of time, talents, and treasures. Dear ones, there's one thing that we all have in common. One thing we all have the same quantity of 24 hours in every day. Do you use each day as an opportunity to extend to uh, the kingdom of Christ, to glorify the Lord? Do you give each day to the Lord in prayer at the beginning of the day? Do you look back over the day at the end of the day, reflecting upon how you used your day, taking inventory, uh, asking questions like that so that you, the next day, don't repeat the same wastefulness in your day, that you, again, are learning to use your time for the glory of Jesus Christ? Is there a divine purpose that you see in every day that God gives to you? Or is it just your purpose? Do you see God's purpose? Are you seeking God's purpose? A second benefit 
becoming familiar, intimately acquainted with the nearness of your own death. A second benefit is directed to the children among us, to the young people in our congregation. Listen to what King Solomon, the wisest mere man who ever lived, had to say to you in Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days Come not, nor years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. When it becomes so difficult to get around and and so many pains, so many heartaches, so many physical afflictions that you have no uh, pleasure in life any longer. Don't wait till then. The Lord says here, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. While you're young, while you have strength, while you have energy to give to the service of Christ and to others. Don't wait, dear children and young people. Do not wait to make your life count for Jesus Christ at some time in the future. Become a mighty warrior for Jesus Christ while you are yet young. Like David was young, was a mighty warrior for Christ. As Daniel was young, was a mighty warrior for Christ. As Joseph was young, was a mighty warrior for Christ. And you will find that when it is time for you Whenever that time is, when it is time for you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if you have given your life to the Lord from the time that you were young, you will then at death fear no evil, for you will know the Lord will be with you to shepherd you and to comfort you. So don't waste, just because you're young, don't waste the years of your youth and strength but devote each day to Christ as if it were your last day. How many regrets we who are older all have about how we used our younger years not to glorify God. Don't be like us and repeating and following in our paths. Follow in the way of the Lord from the time you are young. I guarantee you, you will have no, absolutely no regrets in doing so when you're old. But every blessing will be yours. A third benefit to us in knowing the nearness of our own death is in helping us to appreciate every blessing we receive from God. We don't have a lot of time to enjoy the blessings God's given to us, so let's enjoy them to the glory of God now, whether it's our family, our marriage, whether it's the measure of health that we enjoy, whether it's our food, whether it's every sip of water that we drink, whether it is our clothing, our shelter, whether it is every spiritual blessing that is ours in heavenly places. Let us enjoy them to the glory of God. In light of the nearness of our death, 
we should learn than to be content with whatever God blesses us with. To take nothing for granted. To consider every morsel and crumb of bread to be a great blessing. To consider having a place to lay our head, a pillow upon which to lay our heads, to, to have shelter as a greatest blessing rather than to murmur against him and against his providence that we don't have all that we want or that we then begin to sinfully criticize one another because of our discontentment. David next prays concerning the weakness of man, thirdly. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Psalm 39.4 Death, perhaps more than anything else, reveals to us our helplessness to rescue ourselves from our desperate situation. Death reveals we're not in control of our lives. Otherwise, we'd do uh, whatever needed to be done to prevent our death, our dying. But we're not in control. God is. God is sovereign. Man's not sovereign. And that's revealed by virtue of every man's death. Quests for the fountain of youth are all ultimately doomed to failure. And that's not to say that we should not take care of the, of the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we should not take care of our bodies, uh, that we should be destructive of our bodies. Of course not. Uh, we are to, uh, to even cherish our bodies as that which God has given to us to use for his glory. But dear ones, there's no fountain of youth that's going to prevent us from dying. All is vanity. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, all is vanity. All is emptiness without Jesus Christ. All that we have in this world is vain, is futile, is empty, is like a vapor, is like a mist. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. In verses 5 through 6, that comes through loud and clear. Behold, thou hast made my days as in handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. Here we see the frailty, the vanity, the weakness of man. The most powerful leaders of the ancient world led armies and conquered nations. The wealthiest have accumulated vast amounts of riches and, and, and uh, possessions. However, they all had one weakness in common. 
They all died. They all died. Without exception, they all died. They could not take their power, they could not take their riches with them. They could not conquer death. And neither can we because of our own weakness. A sincere confession of our own vanity and weakness to rescue ourselves from death should lead us, dear ones, to cast off all confidence that we have in the flesh and rather to cast all confidence and to cast ourselves entirely upon the strength of Jesus Christ alone who can save us. The psalmist declares in Psalm 118, verses 8 through 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. I remember when my father was a very strong, active man. No one could outwork my father. And yet the realization of his human weakness was made clear as we laid his helpless, lifeless body in the grave this past Thursday. He was indeed weak, as are all of us. But Jesus was mighty to save him and to carry his redeemed soul into glory and shall raise him up on that final day. And then David prays concerning the hope of man. Fourthly. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Psalm 39, verse 7. David was brought to see once again that his only hope was in the Lord. There is no hope, dear ones, there is no hope in anyone or in anything in this world. No matter how tight we, tightly we hold on to the things of this world, there's no hope because at death we will not be able to hold on to anything. We'll not be able to take anything out of this world with us. And the psalmist declares in Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26, because of this, he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, dear ones, our faith is not in a dead Savior, but in a resurrected and living Christ, who was gloriously raised from the dead and ascended up into heaven 
to reign at the right hand of his father. So you see, dear ones, as we draw to a close, the question is not, will you die? That is a certainty. The question is not, is your death near? That too is a certainty, for life upon earth is short and brief. And the question is not, can you rescue yourself from death? No mere human being has ever been able to rescue himself or herself from death. The only question is this, in whom is your hope of eternal life? Is your hope in yourself? Is your hope in your own works of righteousness and piety, your outward religion, your attending sermons, living in a Christian family? Is your hope in your parents? Is your hope in your church or in your baptism or in your minister? Dear ones, if your hope of eternal life is in any of these, you will suffer not only physical death upon earth, but you will suffer also eternal death in hell forever and ever. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ, and if your faith is in not your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone to save you, because you know you're unworthy, you know you're a sinner, you know you cannot justify yourself and make yourself worthy of God. And so you have turned to Christ to trust him alone as your righteousness, him alone as your savior, and you submit yourself to him alone as your Lord to rule your life. You will live forever in heaven, even though you will die here upon the earth. And dear ones, your sin, no matter how great they are, no matter how many are they are, your sin does not disqualify you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone, but actually qualifies you to come to him for forgiveness and for life because he came to save sinners. Paul says he was the chief among sinners. Because Jesus lives, we need not fear death, we need not fear wars, we need not fear rumors of wars, we need not fear food shortages, whatever miseries we may face in this life, we need not fear any of them because Jesus lives. He is the resurrection and the life. We need not fear the collapse of the world around us. If he has overcome, dear ones, the last enemy, that great enemy, death, there is resurrection. There is no enemy that we need fear. Any other enemy is down below death. And dear ones, just as Jesus can breathe life into a dead soul, so he can breathe life into a broken marriage. So he can breathe life into a slumbering church. 
so he can breathe life into a forgotten covenant. So he can breathe life into a broken relationship. Our hope is in him. Not in ourselves. Not in anyone else. Our hope is in him who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Our glorious Savior and Lord, Thou who art the resurrection and the life, breathe life, Lord, into us even now. Father, wherein we have gone astray, gone our own way, wherein, Lord, we have been stubborn and rebellious, wherein we have been discontent with what we have, wherein, Lord, we have been contentious, critical, wherein we have strewed up trouble rather than being peacemakers. In all the ways, Lord, that we have sinned against thee and our neighbor, wherein we have had, Lord, other lovers and, and served other gods, breathe that resurrection life into us, we pray. Renew us, Lord, in that resurrection life even now. Thank thee, our Lord, that thou hast taught us from thy word uh, to not fear death, but our Lord, uh, to prepare for death, that we might not be terrorized by death, that it may not come upon us suddenly by way of surprise, but we're ready to meet thee every day. We thank thee, Lord, for thy, for thy solemn admonition, but also for thy loving comfort that is found through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.